Hi, book club members. I'm Jen. And I'm Carrie. And this is Warhammer 40k Book Club, where we read from your crag. This is episode number 52, and our book is Astarath, Angel of Mercy by Gee, Guy Haley. Gee. This Gee. book is about Astarath as he investigates some fallen members of the Red Wings. Chapter. Far as I can tell, this takes place after Devastation of Ball, yep. but before Darkness in the Blood. We posted several questions on our website, wh40kbookclub.com, and we encourage participation in our conversations via Twitter, YouTube, our site, or Encrypted Box channel. Spoiler warning. If you if you haven't yet read this book, that's probably not, a lot of you. I, I didn't, I don't mean that as exclusionary as that sounds, but. So if you're um, one of the 1,250 people who got a copy. They left us no choice. They Please did. send all of your complaints to Black Library and the COVIDs. Just the COVIDs. Uh, <laughs> go to our site, check out the book and the questions, and come back to this episode as we'll be talking about it from start to finish in great detail. The good news is about this book, I don't really feel like there's any like major spoiler in this book. I mean, if you're just one of those people who doesn't like spoilers, but it's not like, say, penitent where we reveal that Palpatine's behind it. Um, or, um, what was that saint? So we got that book early too, because it's a collector's uh, edition. Right. Um, Ephraim Stern. Right. So, I mean, that was kind of a big spoiler and that she's back kind of. And yeah, so no, there's nothing like that. And, in, in this, and it's, um, you know, I really can't tell if it takes place before or after darkness in the blood. This, there's a lot just kind of hanging in the air, and I don't think it matters, to be honest. And so I actually had to look this up online because it was kind of bugging me because I couldn't really tell either. I had some questions. I mean, it definitely something. happens after devastation of ball because they talk about definitely post ball because the red wings but, didn't show up, and which explains a lot, like why they're even here because like. When it started off like with the Red Wings, I was like, "Fuck you guys, roll kilt. You're not. You don't want to get rid of you guys. You're not flush terrors." Um, <laughs> so, I was actually a little disappointed about that when I saw the Red Wings. And again, it's just because, like, that was one of the things that I liked is that they were kind of cleaning stuff up. So when they were like, "Oh yeah, we're trying to rebuild the Red Wings," I was like, "Why though? I thought we, I thought we cleaned, I thought we cleaned house for a reason." Uh, by the way, Anyways, uh, the Falcon called. He wants his bird back. <clears throat> Marvel jokes. There's Marvel jokes, everyone. Deep cut Marvel jokes. <laughs> so, this book had a deep cut in it, too, though. Anyways, did you like the book? Nice. Nice. You know, I don't know. I am... I'm still mulling it over in my head. Mm -hmm. Because there are a lot of things that I liked, but then there are a lot of things I was like, why, though? what was the point? But then the more I think about it, the more I think I understand what was going on here. Um, it would not surprise me at all if you did not like it. I mean, there were no chalices in here, but okay, it was still pretty dramatic. Yes. So given his name, which, okay, we're just not going to keep Astra. It, it's Azeroth. Because... With Astaroth, I do always, every time I read the name Astaroth, in my head, I immediately go, Metrion Zenthos. Because we're, we both have problems and we're big DC people. 
Um, I, so Azeroth, like in a lot of ways, I came into this expecting a lot of things. And there are some tropey things about this that were not there. But I really did want my variable line down below to be uh, laughs and angelic. Because there is a lot of drama going on here. And the blood angels are just gasps and angelic. Gasps and angelic. That's right. I wanted because there was just so many things where I was like, the drama. But it's it's kind of part and parcel with the blood angels. And it's one reason that I don't like the blood angels. I'm going to go ahead and say one thing about this book. I I said previously that every time a, a marine is shown going into the black rage, it just kind of gets me the feels, even though I don't really care about Sanguinius dying. Like, I'm always like, oh, this book might have broken me of that. By the end of the book, when people were like, they were just like, why have you betrayed our father? I'm like, I don't care. What's well, like, So what I found really interesting about that, though, is when uh, Jadriel yelled that at Astaroth, and he really goes into, he's heard that question so many times. So many times. So all I have to say is whenever they write the Siege of Terra, they better have that question in there because that is literally what all the Blood Angels say. I mean, you read any Blood Angels book, anyone falls to the rage, when they think they found Horus, that is one of the things that they say, they, yes. that they do. When they're doing the final confrontation. Like, the final confrontation. But I did like in this how it was almost like an improv actor who has to stay it reminded me a lot like if you've ever watched any of the christopher guest movies so like best in show and this is spinal tap and waiting for guffman they talk about how they're basically given like a prompt like okay we want you to be like this but go nuts beyond that or like we want you to eventually get here but go nuts beyond that it kind of like and yes i did just relate the black rage to christopher guest but i found it interesting especially at the end there when astrath is trying to talk to jadriel and like he would say something and then he's clearly speaking in character as sanguinius and that's probably not exactly what was being said right on the vengeful spirit but he's reacting to the information coming into him saying in character right so it felt there was an interesting improv bet and i did like so sorry we'll talk a lot more about bedivoir later but when bedivoir starts to fall to the rage and he talks about like how he's in a forest Oh, but no, suddenly there's metal walls and he's in a spaceship and he tastes the recycled air. And no, wait, no, we're back to the wood. Like that falling in and then coming out was really well done. Moving into what parts stood out to you, the whole thing with the Black Rage, I thought was handled so nicely. One thing I really liked about also with Bedivar going into it, because he, as he's one of the moments where he's like, in it and he's seeing the battle take place in front of him and he's like suddenly I have all these names all these names that I explicitly somehow already know and uh, I was like that you know I can't imagine just suddenly just kind of like you're just going back into someone else's body it's it's very weird because it's like you're 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 reliving Sanguinius's memories but at the same time you're reacting to everybody else so I thought that was so, that they did that so well and um, David Annadale also handled that very well in uh, Lamart. I always say Lamart because I always p- pronounce it like it's French Lamart but it could be Lamartes I could be totally wrong I don't know regardless but he does that a lot because like you'll see you'll hear some of them say the same things over and over again like what you know Sanguinius probably said 
But then, like, when you have this situation, like, here when Astaroth was asking him, you know, telling him, it's like, remember yourself. It's like, no, right. I, you've already lied so much. Well, we don't know if Sanguinius said that, but that might have been something that Sanguinius would have said if Horace talked to him gently, maybe. I don't know. It was in, it was in character. Right. Right. Again, yeah. it just it felt like this, like, and, like, they talk about how at one point one of the Marines was calling out for apothecaries. Long dead apothecaries uh, to feel long dead brothers. Yeah. And that part, like that part, so the whole just like going into the Black Rage, I'm kind of over that. But that part really did kind of hit me because I was like, can you imagine? And we'll talk a lot more about this later, but especially for the Primaris Marines who were like, come again? Like an Astarath, I'm sure like at this point, Astarath can probably name every single person who was on the Vengeful Spirit. Like he probably knows the entire cast of characters. Right. Because he's heard it so many times. That part actually did make me really sad when he's like, been asked this so many times. Like, And he never answers them. What do you, what do you say, right? Like you already, it's very much of an, an of mice and men sort of thing where you already have to put down or maybe like old yeller probably closer to old yeller really like rabid you already have to take these guys out behind the shed like so upsetting it would be kind of mildly interesting though if he just was like cuz like if he did answer them like to see what the reaction would be i don't know for giggles (laughs) (laughs) like um well because i you know i read a book change my life and you know like just to see like them be like that's not a good enough reason <laughs> i don't know what they were like would that would that force them to break character i don't know i that whole the whole way that they handled the rage was pretty interesting and he did a really good job with it mm-hmm. this guy gee haley knows how to write apparently he knows how to write them blood angels like you know he does just as much as I don't like them, I'm like, you do really know this chapter. He does. And at least he throws in little bones like, uh, what's that guy's name? The funny guy. Delamon? Dolomon. Oh, yeah. Dolomon. Dolomon. Because um, he talks about how like he's basically like, a lot. like the court jester and asked mm-hmm. us, you know, uh, entourage and you know, he'd make snide comments about, you know, he's like, you know, he likes you. And he says he doesn't like me, but that's a lie. And then Gazastroth would be like, no, I really don't like you. And he's like, oh, him. You know, I I always like it when we do find the occasional blood angel that is light, takes things very, very lighthearted and doesn't take things too seriously because it's just like such a breath of fresh air compared to such a breath of fresh air compared to everybody else. But I also liked it because when he was teaching Bedivore how to handle the black rage like if you feel it coming on this are the things that that you need to do and he's like wow you're so serious he goes and that is how you know how important this is yes but i mean i like that so okay i'll I'll wait because you're going to ask the question i'll wait okay so um let's talk first about as astarath gotta write that one um what did you make of his role in his characterization in this book because honestly for the book being called astarath he's not the main focal point of the story with this he's not and i I thought that was 
interesting. I mean, we've seen authors do this a lot, and sometimes it really works, and sometimes it doesn't. And I really wish we could have had more from Asaraf's point of view on things, and that's only because mm-hmm. we don't really know much about him. We just know that you don't want to see him ever. No. Um, he's like the most depressing chaplain ever. Uh, the chaplains are supposed to be like, you know, rousing of spirits, and instead he comes in and determines which fallen, not the fallen, but which have gone to the dark rage need to be put down. Yeah. Uh, which ones are old yeller and which ones can go in, uh, you know. Can go hang out with Lamart and, you know, yeah. be in the, I forget what they call it, the black or the death, the, uh, the death company is another death. The death company, yeah. Like you want to say death guard, but it's like it's not the death guard. It's like it's a death company. <laughs> that's a that's a whole other. <laughs> that would be kind of interesting. <laughs> that would be interesting, kind of funny. I, but I don't think Mortarian would react well to that. No. Why did you betray us, Horus? Excuse you. That would go over very well. I don't think Mortarian has much love for Horus either. I think that would actually make it a little bit worse. It's like, like what did you call me? It's always the bridesmaid. It's always the bridesmaid. What did you call me? That's an insult, sir. I'm my own Primark. Thank you. <laughs> I'm just as important as the rest of them. I am I actually responsible. Fulgrim would react as well. I think he would I am, not have a good I reaction. I have a reason for the Council of Nikaea. Let's be real here. <laughs> I was super important and there's a picture of me on Terra by God just nobody knows my name anyways moving on you're right though because you have a mask over your face because mm-hmm. you're too angry at your stepfather hmm. um yeah I do love how they always describe his voice sounding like tombstones hitting um but no you're you are correct that somebody asked you this do you think it worked Yes and no. With them not. I I agree. I mean, in I, some I, ways it works. I mean, I understand why he split it up, where he kind of had the first half be like a flashback and explaining, like mm-hmm. maybe why they they kind of need his help. Um, but I think he could have done more. Like, I just I feel like it ended too quickly. And the reason, and I just think that because, so, sorry, I'm just going to go ahead and get into it. I'm pretty sure that the reason for this entire book is because in Devastation of Ball, it clearly says that the Primaris cannot succumb to the Black Rage. Clearly says in Devastation right. of Ball. And then Games Which Workshop. Which is wrong. And then Games Workshop wrote their new Codex of the Blood Angels. It's like, oh, well. We didn't say that was accurate, you know. We just this right. is what we're doing, and he's wrong. And so, this to me was a book that explains why they thought that. And oh, by the way, that's not true. It's like this is almost like Gee Haley's way of verifying in the Black Library lore that what he said was true from a certain point of view because they just honestly didn't very much so they just didn't honestly know and to the point the primaris they hadn't even heard of it they weren't really sure what it was so they had never been prepared for it so the only thing i would have liked for this to be longer is just for uh astaroth to realize this and start preparing he's to prepare the primaris chaplains like this 
this is what your duty is going to be and this is what what we need to work on and instead it just seemed like I don't know like it just kind of got done it just like the like the last couple right. of chapters just happened so quickly so quickly and so this this material gets covered more or less that portion of it gets confirmed and covered in darkness and the blood right like had this book come out like pretty much on the heels of devastation a ball i'd be like i I would agree with you but we are this is already known like oh it turns out the primaris can fall to it yeah no we know they they talked about that in darkness and the blood the codex the codices have talked about this like this is a known thing so this book (laughs) kind of felt like closing the corral after the horses have left right like we know. I, I think I would have liked to have seen this, and I would have had a better reaction to that portion of it. Y'all, these red foil pages. Every time they catch the light, I'm like, "Damn, that's a nice looking book." Um, I would have reacted a little bit better to it had it come out before. Had we read this before Darkness and the Blood? Because then, when we read Darkness and the Blood, I would be like, "Oh, okay, yeah." Like now, because now they're just basically confirming what we saw in well, Asterath. I think what this um, what this is is that so, you know, they talk about it in darkness of the blood like it's already been a thing but this is like how they got there right right i still would have liked that to have come i think before. so it's kind of like a 1.5 if we're gonna kind go of like, yeah with, with it feels like the lost dante chapters story. to the end of the dante story or something like that well, i right? guess it'd like be 2.5 right because it goes dante devastation of all and then right darkness in the blood Yes. So I think I would have liked that better. I think I really this, wanted to get to see more of Astarath. And like, I understand that he's the superimposing figure. And if they mentioned one more time that his, his gaze is difficult to bear. Like, I got it. Um, I, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more. Cause like that last chapter where he's dealing with Jadriel, you're like, Oh, this is like, this is really the first time we get to kind of see like his inner workings mm-hmm. and understand him a little better as a character. I think I would have liked that a bit more. I really didn't care how humans reacted to Astaroth. Like, the whole guy with, uh, what's his face? Uh, Idrin. Yeah. I didn't really care about any of that. I was like, oh, I don't care how they feel about Astaroth. Bedivar was interesting because this is, you know, a Primaris kinda, getting to see. I like Bedivar. I kind of hope that. Oh, I really I, liked Bedivar. I hope that he comes out of it because it is possible to snap out of it and I think just where he was with it all around him he's never had to learn how to repress it plus you got those you know balloon aliens trying to you know they're also the messing jellyfish. with everything yeah the little jellyfish they're messing with things so the man of wars <laughs> at the same time you know so they're the, they're Hanar, okay? This is what the, they are Hanar. This is what the Hanar have evolved to because they've already met the Inkindlers, and this is what they've become. <laughs> so let's talk because about this really as we have to, as we have mentioned before, Mass Effect is totally canon, one hundred percent canon. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about this though, because I feel like this is probably the most interesting and biggest piece of this book. The Blood Angels have been negligent in their induction of the Unnumbered Sons, to say the least. First off, does this surprise you? No. I was actually a little surprised because, like, with the Dark Uh, Angels... 
Oh, the dark angels, I understand, because you don't accidentally become fallen. Right? Like, you don't, like, I mean, I guess technically if you trip, but, like, you don't wake up one morning and I'm like, sorry, Luther was right, y'all. Because you don't know who Luther is, right? So that makes sense. But this is, like, and I just keep thinking of in Devastation of Ball when Gabriel Seth talks about how they embrace the flaw and they embrace this portion of them. Like, they know that this is something that we have to deal with. Like, when Bedivoir talks about talks about seeing the Black Rage on the Indominus Crusade, it kind of reminded me of like the stories we're starting to hear from like November and December of 2019, where they were like, yeah, people had like weird chest conditions and we had no idea what it was. Right. And then right after it's been like, it's that type of thing when he's like, we didn't know what to look for. That seems like a pretty big oversight to me that you guys would at least, at least the thirst, understand how to use it, understand how to control it, understand that if you don't, it's going to go bad. Which I can't put totally on Dante for that but when they oh, no. when they spread them out like it was those chapters very much so their responsibility to educate and I think the Red Wings because it talked about how many problems that they had had like I don't think they even have a chapter master right now it didn't sound like and really. um, so they're kind of like rebuilding so they get these unnumbered sons and they're like okay now I gotta deal with this and then they hear oh but they can't get the Red Thirst of the Black Rage it just never occurred to them that maybe they need to learn how to treat it when other people fall to it so that they're just not like, dude, what are you doing? What is wrong with you? What's a Horus? What's a Horus? Right. <laughs> I mean, I did like when he said, like, yeah, the guy started screaming about Horus, but we just kind of assumed that that was the enemy psychers deal, like, messing with his head. I feel like that would have been a time for, like, <laughs> what's a Horus? <laughs> what's a Horus? Um... I just imagine, like, that would have been a time for, like, Ares to have come over and been like, okay, we need to have a talk. Let me explain a few things, right? Like, it just, this is such an awful, awful comparison, but, like, when you hear about young women who start their period and were like, I didn't know this was going to happen to me, like, oh, maybe we should have talked about that. Like, you hear about that happening to a lot, right? Like, I know a woman that happened to, she was like, what's going on? Kind of like that. Like, you educate. Educate your children. <laughs> educate your brothers. So that they know these things. Right? That's terrible. Or at least, at the very least, to know what to look for. So that right? you can call the chaplain. <laughs> right? Like, I feel like if every, like, for a while there, like, every store you went into was, like, taking temperatures and stuff like that. Here, just because of COVID, I feel like there would be, like, a type of similar type of check for the blood angels. Right? Like, look yeah. for a temperature. Look for elevated heart rate, calls of Horus. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm just saying that we're handling this COVID situation so better than they handle so the back black rage. Show me shock ink blot. What is this? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not Horus. Right. It's okay. So it was like freezing in this room, and now it's burning up. Anyways, my life is difficult. Um, yeah. Like you would think that they would at least have this conversation. That actually really surprised me, but. That's very interesting because if the Red Wings were nearly decimated at Ball, and we know a lot of these chapters were, this isn't going to be the only chapter. Like, I feel like Astrath, like, I feel like one of the other points of this book is that Astrath is going to be very busy because the Unnumbered Sons, like, before you get the words out to all the chaplains, 
News doesn't travel fast in the Imperium Nihilists. Yeah. That's kind of a problem at the moment. That's kind of a problem. I actually am not worried about the flesh terrors at all. Oh, but no, because... They're going to they're gonna done-educate their Primaris. If they even accept any Primaris, as he said, you know, they're just... Well, like, they say in the book, right? Well, he said he didn't want to, because he's like, they're just ultramarines in flesh terror armor. Well, right, but in here, I mean, they say, they were like, look, like, Lord Seth, we, we, it was politics. Like, Dante, and that didn't occur to me either, that Dante couldn't just be like Oprah. You get Primaris, you get Primaris, everybody gets Primaris, like... You have to pick and choose, right? Like, the flesh terrors are kind of lore important. They have plot armor, so they definitely need to get some Primaris. These other guys, maybe not. Nobody really knows who the Red Wings are off the top of their head, really, except for, like, the diehard fans. So, less yeah, plot armor, less this, Primaris. At the same time, though, with, like, most of the chapters, Kilt, there's, like, a little bit Kilt. more unnumbered sons to to go around so but i'm hoping though is that we don't suddenly hear about these 10 other chapters that survived ball as well yeah if that that was my one thing reading this book is i was like i swear to god if we are gonna have to be treated to a whole bunch of short stories now about oh do you remember when those guys got devoured five of them didn't and now they've got a whole bunch of primaris so they're back <laughs> but feel as though this was kind of Gee Haley saying like okay there's still hope if your favorite successor chapter got devoured here's hope don't give him hope no I mean it's Gee Haley hope springs eternal um but that was at least interesting to me that I was like oh that's something y'all probably should have talked about and that could be a problem and we could see more of that which just add it to the list <laughs> add it to Dante's list it's not going to Robbie Bobby's voicemail it's no. going to Dante's voicemail no Dante is a Dante's a busy man there is no everybody rest. as busy as Robbie Bobby there's no rest for the weary no and no, since he's not now been all. made Lord Regent so he's like the Lord Regent the lesser you know, of the, of the whole Imperium. I mean, because the Emperor is not doing anything. So it's really, it's Gulliman who's really the big E right now. What? I you say that? Like, he's just like, he's just sitting around and like, he could be doing something, but he's not. <laughs> no, I mean, he's not doing anything. He's, he's, he make it sound like he's watching, like, The Price is Right sitting <laughs> on his couch. No, he's just, um, he's, he's just like the statue he's a relic a literal relic that is sitting there and i know he's you know got the astronomicon and all that but yes that's very important i'm not saying that he's not he's not doing something important but he's not ruling is my point here bitch he's not ruling <laughs> sorry i didn't like your fucking blood angels book <laughs> <laughs> i don't I care <laughs> uh, no i know it's just really funny you're like he's not doing anything it's like He's, I mean, not, he's not ruling. It's Gulliman who's stepping up and pretending to let the Council of Terra still do things when he's just like moving everything else in the background. It's like, well. And low key might fucking kill you if you don't agree with him. Uh, so I I'm mean, all, I'm all cussy tonight. I mean, it, it, uh, it actually kind of makes me think of um, Sonic the Hedgehog movie. Have you seen it? I haven't seen it. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's actually really cute. It's cuter than it should have been. 
But there's this great scene when uh, Professor Eggman first shows up, you know, Jim Carrey, and he goes right up to the, like, the military. He's like, you... who do you think's in charge here? Yeah, that one. That's kind of how Robbie Bobby is with the Imperium. Who do you really think is in charge here? I always actually imagined him a little bit more like Bane. With the hand on the neck. Do you feel in charge? <laughs> We're the Lords of Terra. This gives you power over me? kind of figure and be like that but no you're absolutely right like dante's got a lot on his plate and this like i feel like he could just add this to the list yeah he's like ruling, oh he's ruling cool, half. the unnumbered sons don't know about any of this awesome he's, he's ruling a half an imperium that he can barely contact and oh by the way there is still the tyranids just hanging around looking for the next lunch he's got problems <laughs> he does have problems and the other interesting thing with the primaris in here was that I liked the idea with Bedivoir where he's like, this is a waste of our time. We're going around surveying the planets to see what's still okay and what's still under Lord Dante's purview and this is not what we're built for. I like that idea because we, we see that every now and then. Like I look at Knights of McCrag, right? Where we see right. these Primaris Marines who are just chafing at this, right? And are like, no. We should always be fighting and it's, it's going down to the old school guys who are just like, okay, we have other duties as well. And our primary duty, and this is something that Gulliman would totally agree with. Like your, your duty is to the people. Cause like, you know, uh, Marnius Calgar was very big on with the ultramarines. And I know that comes down from Gulliman being, you know, the former king of people, like ruling people, Ooh. a benevolent king, everybody loved. He's the prime diplomat. You know, he, uh, you know, they always talk about, you know, him and Dorn, you know, being the master strategists. But I would have to say that really with Gulliman, I see him more as the master diplomat because he's the guy who can. He Definitely more. He doesn't have like Horace's charisma by far because I think he's so subdued, but he knows politics. He knows how to work he the room. is. And definitely a strategist. I mean, he, he writes yes. he writes space book. But he manages, I would say that he's a strategist second and more of a politician first. And I don't mean that in a bad way. No, I'm, I'm, he I'm right there with understands you. people because, and, and yes. Dorn is the opposite. Yes. Strategist. Well. Politicians like way down there because he's too candid. As, as Alfarius put it, he can't lie. So He can't lie. And so, how can you trust that person? So he can't be a diplomat because... You right. do have to lie or at least skirt around the truth to at least I don't know. To protect people. And I don't know that the Unnumbered Sons really got to see that as much because they were just fighting. It actually reminds me of one of my favorite scenes slash quotes from Dan Ab, one of the Dan Abnet books. And it's from Iron Snakes, Brothers of the Snake. This one guy is kind of chafing because they have to go to like oversee this this they had made a long ago promise to this planet and they have to go oversee a new coronation and the one guy is like this is not what the emperor made us for and his chaplain the older chaplain comes over and he's like if the emperor asks you to fight you fight if he asks you to stand like hold a pillar you hold the pillar if he asks you to stand naked on your hands you stand naked on your hands that is what you're for and the guy's like oh i stand corrected and it's one of my favorite lines the guy says no you just stand. That is what the emperor asks of you. And it's, I always think of that. And so when he's just like, this is not what we're for. All I could think of is I was like, 
emperor asks you to stand. That is what you, this is exactly, and Lord Dante has told you. Because that didn't occur to me either until this book where I was like, oh God, in the wake of the rift, he has no idea what the, what the Imperium Nihilus looks like, really. They had tyranids everywhere. Like they were kind of dealing with their own problems. Now, like. But still, he's got to see like, our communications are there people loyal do i have to turn down insurrections that are going on uh are there aliens overrunning areas that we don't know about? forget the nids orcs uh in this case these jellyfish siren things and talk about them more to men. you know and yeah like demons, do we still have supplies demons, are they demons. still <laughs> demons, demons, demons. Are they still able to fulfill their tithes? Like, do we still have a steady supply chain logistics going? Are these planets loyal or... We still need agri-worlds, you know? Yes. Like, I mean, just the list of things where it's like, it never dawned, it, it didn't really until we read this book that I was like, Imperial Nihilus must be a logistical nightmare. It's hurting Absolute cats. Absolute nightmare. Hurting oh, it really is. galactic cats hurting a lot of cats and it's kind of hurting cats in the dark right because i mean it's crazy so which makes it again we're just adding to the checklist of crap going on for poor dante we're just gonna age dante another thousand years and 12 oh my god seriously like gulliman's gonna come back and be like you okay buddy (laughs) dante's gonna be like no um the enslavers are kind of a b-side cut like when when they, he was describing them i was kind of like it sounds like he's describing those like jellyfish thing and then because i don't think i've seen an enslaver story i think i read one enslaver story like forever ago and this was my first one i was like for as far as the book club goes i'm like we haven't seen this at all No, this is my first one ever like ever like i'd never heard of these Two. Are the psychic jellyfish compelling? Like, did you like them as a villain or no. villain? I mean, either. this is what I imagine the Hanar would do, to be totally honest, yeah. as they're preaching about the Enkindlers all over the Citadel. And if they could, they would just wrap their tentacles around people and just make them do, make them do whatever. It's, um, I find it interesting how they come into the world because they're like born in the warp and then they find their way through psychers. Right. It's kind of crazy. Well, I mean, they're kind of, they're kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? They're like diet demons almost. They live in the warp. Yeah. But, you know. Right. And then, but they come into the world through psychers. They live and feed off of psychers, but they're not necessarily... I don't want to call them, they're not malevolent. Well, I guess they are malevolent, but they're not like evil. I don't know. They're not the level, they're not like level or demon level awful, right? And they're not like orcs. But, yeah, no, they're not like the orcs. I mean, it's just one of those things, you know, they're kind of like, they're kind of like the gene stealers, if you think about it. They just slowly take over. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, in pretty much the same way, because I was like, well, because, you know, they're calling forward the guys to uh, the, the tyranids to eat everybody these guys are just kind of kind of i mean kind of the same set that they're not calling an external force to eat everybody because they're going to do all the eating and then i guess they leave right i don't know so i wonder if like the hanar start eating all of the biotics and that's where we get to you know what 
would not surprise me. That's how we get here. You guys, the Hanar antibiotics. Well, I'll tell you what, I'd be canon. I would happily donate Jack to that cause. Like straight away. Yeah. And I, I love her voice actress. I love Courtney Taylor. Yeah, but she's I would a- just be like, Jack, the Hanar want to talk to you. Yeah, because uh, when I got to that mission in the Legendary Edition, I was like, oh, right. This chick, right. Ah, uh, okay, fine, fine. I actually did her loyalty mission just so she'd put on some clothes. <laughs> My husband romanced her, and I sat on the couch the whole time like this. Like, I'm so disappointed in you. I'm so disappointed in you. You know, our friend Blake did, too. That doesn't surprise me, though. He just he just wanted to help the wounded bird. <laughs> like, 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 that doesn't surprise me. Oh, no, Blake was, um, pre- Blake was pretty straightforward about it. He was just like, the bra, like, yes. No, for goodness sake. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, with my husband. For those of like, you who really? don't know what we're talking about, just Google search Jack Mass Effect 2. Yeah. She wears a, like the laws of physics well like she's a biotic so but I, like i wonder like how much of her biotic powers does she utilize to keep that thing in place because the laws of physics do not apply all to her. i can think of is that how much it chafes oh my god especially like here oh god not even anyway. there like does she put band-aids over anyway <laughs> i mean anyways you guys there's lots of questions <laughs> so but this is how we get here so the enslavers though like i guess I, I felt really bad because they just had to deal with the Tyranids. You're on the Imperium Nihilus. So, like, you've already got some demon problems, right? Um, I was just like, oh boy, just add that to the list. Like, oh my god. And they mention that this is not the typical behavior that they expect to see from the enslavers. So I was like, oh good. <laughs> the Rift is empowering another group of people. Great. That kind of makes sense, especially with how... Because they talked about, like, how close they were to the Rift. I mean, it would make sense to kind of have some effects like Cadia. Because if you read Horus Heresy, you learn Cadia used to be. Right. So, you know, basically being that close to the warp does things to you. Uh, So It does a few things to you. So really, like, I, I didn't know anything about, you know, the enslavers. So just when they were talking about, you know, the light show from the warp and how they're recyclers, I was like, well, that totally makes sense to me. Cause I mean, they're that close to the rift. Oh yeah. Shit's going to happen. But why do you think they've been introduced now? Because the nids have gotten old. You know what? That's really the only thing I could think of is that because, and I, I know that I've complained about this a couple times is that the nids I feel like have gotten so overpowered and to the point where they're not really that compelling anymore mm-hmm. um because like I, to be totally honest if i found out these were gene stealers i would have been like fuck this book just because i'm so sick of gene stealers and i'm so sick of the tyranids yeah i think um i think he needed something to that was psychic something that was xenos something that was not demonic mm-hmm. because the blood angels i feel like have had quite enough quite enough the demonic presences and but you need something that makes sense being over there we haven't so i guess this guy's um it's also kind of interesting to know as you said all right the rift is having some interesting effects on lots of species um 
but yeah, I was kind of like, huh. But you're right. Had it been Gene Steelers, I don't know that I would have finished it. I'm kind of over them. And you would have yeah, finished it because another. it's a short book. Well, that's true. But I would have definitely been a little grumpier about it. So let's let's talk because the the enslavers also there was a lot of human element in this book, like a surprising amount of human element. Mm-hmm. We had Esmera briefly. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Selu. Sully, 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 Sully. I'm going with Sully, and Idrin. So let's let's and, well, we talk with Esmera. We also had Esmera's whacked out friend. Oh, her drug addict friend. So let's just like that. Let's let's focus on those two first. Do they add to the narrative really to you? Uh yes. In that, yes, because. It only in that just to show like just how awful this world is like you know we and we've seen like awful worlds but this is one where it's like not even the nobles have it good you know it's that okay that's a good point and that was a little like everyone is hungry everyone is filthy everybody stinks you know it it's just that was the part where I was kind of like it's like it's just a matter of like how much in the mud are you Right. Uh, How low in it are you? Right. So if there wasn't the oil refinery there, there'd be like no purpose in ever living on this planet. I mean, they mentioned that the eel meat gets transported off and it is actually somewhat important to the food cycle and that they have other stuff. It's some delicacy for some, probably some navigator house somewhere. Oh, no doubt. Which like hot take eel is like like when you go to a sushi restaurant that is definitely like one of my lowest i'll, I'll eat it before urchin because that tastes like burnt plastic smells but i've not had either i just can't do eel it's it's a little it's a little weird to me but like so when they kept talking about eel meat i was just like not not a fan of eel it's just actually, but you haven't had this a snake you haven't had this eel though true but i this eel like, could be like expecting... this eel could be like caribou meat of eel. It'd be very tender and good. You don't know, and we never will because we don't live there and it doesn't exist. So, we've... anyway, wow, way to kill that one! Just like stomp it into the dirt. Wow. Uh, I, I guess I was expecting more from Mira. Like I was expecting like this was going to be her becoming a psyker and like she was going to be pushing people towards the Black Rage. So when she basically explodes into a Hanar, I was kind of like, oh, well, what was the, I didn't, God, what was the point of her story? Like, we keep, like, I felt like he was trying to get us emotionally invested in hers and her friend's story. And then I was just like, meh. So at the same time while reading this, I'm listening to the audiobook of Nemesis, which, and I tell you what, I kept getting stuff mixed up because there's a lot of similarities going on between them. And that it's just a lot about people on this planet at the time and what they're going through and uh just trying to sort things out trying to figure out what side are you on um because there's that here as well you know like right because they have the whole like you know burn the witches and and things like that um so i guess i had a little bit more tolerance for it um and we don't have that many right now in this post-rift world that are just about people's lives on planets i feel like we kind of get away from a lot of that 
we've gotten away from a lot of that in the post-Rift world. Because if you read like pre-Rift, you know, like think, look at the Uriel of Interest Chronicles, we learned a lot about planetary life, like with those. And it's I, the same thing with uh, James Paul's Blood Angels Omnibus, a lot of planetary life. Horus Heresy, a lot of planetary culture in right. that. Uh, here, I feel like it's just been so much like, you know, the rift, the rift, the rift, and we are not really getting into too much about how it's affecting normal people as much. Like, we really haven't seen it. The only closest thing we've seen it is Terra. But Terra's different. So, right. So we got to see, you know, the demons overrunning and whatever. That's like a whole, that's just a completely different story. So this is like the first time we really got to really kind of dig down with people. And so when she did kind of get up and explode, I was just like, well, that's kind of anticlimactic. But at the same time, it just, it kind of served as how pointless their lives are. That is true. That is definitely true. So along those lines, I did, like, when, like the fourth time that they saw, like, gibbets hanging from places, I was like, damn. Like, some, like, I just like to imagine that there was some blacksmith who, like, specialized in that and, like, business was dying. But then this happened and all of a sudden business is booming. <laughs> Like he was like, this is my time. I will make all the gibbets. Because like the first I've couple, been he saw... waiting my entire life for this moment. <laughs> exactly. He was like, this is our time. We're gonna be nobles after this. Like, like the first couple of gibbets, I was like, oh okay. And then another gibbet, and another gibbet, and another. And like, I was like, where, where are these coming from? They just had them. They were like, I mean, they were decoration before. <laughs> like, now we just use them. Because uh, that's like a lot of metal work that goes into one of those so but you're right like that when that did happen I there is always that point but I think that's a point in Warhammer 40k that I feel like I've gotten that memo that life is brief and pointless and awful in Warhammer 40k so when she exploded I was like god I didn't even care about her and her friend now well but we haven't really seen that much like post rift like I was trying to think of some while you were talking, I was thinking of some books. Like, I know we've read some, but I was like, but that was Penitent and Pariah. And those will take place oh, yeah. way before, before, before. There was a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of allusions and references to sex in this book. I actually, like, that, like, pointedly to the point where I was like, whoa, holy cow. Like, the first time they mentioned just okay, I got it. Whoa, okay, okay, we're gonna go, we're gonna keep mentioning this. Okay, and again, like, actually, a shocking amount of that, because we talked about once before how really non-sexual these books, but this one really leaned into that. Not that we didn't think that people weren't having sex, to be clear, but, yeah. I don't know, I, I kind of laughed when Edrin was like, I know how we can keep each other warm. <laughs> it's just... That was, I laughed at that because that was such a man thing to say. Exactly. Like, like such a man this thing. At least like I'm bored as, as all that was. I'm bored. Well, it doesn't matter how dire the situation, dudes. <laughs> I'd have him keep warm. Yeah, I bet you do. Yeah, that one was. But then we did have Salu and Idrin. Their story... I was a little more invested in them. Not necessarily Salu, because she was such a little quaking leaf the whole time. Except for when Idrin tried to come on to her, and then all of a sudden she's like, uh, no. I was actually a little bummed. When they get killed? When they, when they get killed. I was like, oh, come on, let them go. I was kind of rooting for him when he's like, we're just going to go. And if they ask questions, we'll think up a story. 
going to root for him. I was like, well, like when they said, what are we going to do with him? I was like, you're going to make him into thralls. That's what everybody does. <laughs> you get attached yeah. to humans and you take them on as pets. It's just what happens. This is my pet human. So my, much. my only problem with killing them is then they launch exterminatus. So I'm like, so what was the point in killing them? You could have just let them go and let them be happy for a bit. They do, I mean, they do mention before they virus bomb it, they do get, um, they do get some of the nobles off. So I mean, remember, because Astaroth said, they even say that they have that conversation where they're like, we're killing this planet. And Astaroth's like, we just can't even take that chance. Because, I mean, I guess they, their, their but, skiff travels 20 miles per hour. But, you know, when they said, you know, we had 90% of the population at the evacuation points, they weren't evacuating anybody. It was just, now we got all the population there, the virus can go to work, and it doesn't have to find anybody. They're all, they're all right there. Um, right. So, I mean, like, the odds of them escaping on the, a ship, mm, pretty tiny. But, I mean, I guess they just can't take that chance. I, I, I still didn't see the point when they dropped Exterminatus, like, shit they could have they could let them live quite honestly no one's gonna believe her and she didn't even she didn't even pick up on it like, he didn't no it went way over her head and even then like when idram was like no no this was something wrong she's like okay whatever you're crazy and you know, she just kind of ignored him and i think a lot of people would have ignored him i think so too but i think it also does show that cold and callous side of the space marines right that like we've got to protect the humans and we got it these are the people but those guys know something they're not supposed to, so we're not taking chances on See, this. Like this, it's kind it, of like the, space the Dark wolves, Angels. The Space Wolves have done the same thing. If a human had seen a wolf and been like, "Well, shame," <laughs> you know, no, exactly. Yeah, like there are just some things that are too important, right, and, to the space right. marines. And, and like I you think said, it, the, in the fallen, shame, shame. Yeah, they just it's. And it's, it's always one of those interesting things, especially in this book where they spent so much time of like, no, this is our duty and we protect the humans and these are our people and these are the people that we're charged with and blah, 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 blah. Oh, but they do know something that like, even we have a line. Like we are all about it. Oh, totally step over. Right. Then we have a problem, right? Like, and there are, I mean, there's those are three chapters that we just named off the top of our head. Right? Well, like, and... You know, Alpharius, which we discussed over our Patreon episodes, you know, mm -hmm. he, uh, I was like, that's what they would have done as well if he hadn't, you know, gotten, happened to get attached. Uh, I've seen it in Grey Knight's books. It's like, oh, you saw us? Sorry about that. <laughs> you saw a demon or maybe saw a demon? I mean, look at all of Fenris, right? Can't take chances. <laughs> so it's, it's sad that just made me, I was like, oh man, I was rooting for you guys at that point, but sorry. It just, to me, at times, some of the stuff kind of felt like filler, page filler with the humans. Because I, again, it, you have Astaroth. It, I want to know did. more about Astaroth. It did feel like filler, which disappoints me because it's such a short book to be, to begin with. Yeah. Um, you, but you're right. Like there's, a, there's Astaroth. There was so much we could have done from Astaroth's point of view. Uh, mm -hmm. just learning just a little bit more about him because he's actually a character who rarely shows up in Blood Angels books. Very much so. I mean, Mephiston shows up more often than he does. And we get to see, I mean, again, I'm not a big Blood Angels fan, so I would argue we see, like, too much of Mephiston. But I feel like if you can 
like looking at darkness in the blood, if you can dive that deep into Mephiston, surely you can dive that deep into Astaroth. Like, give us a better, because he really does just kind of feel, and I know that that's kind of the point, mm-hmm. is that he just feels like this Grim Reaper who goes around and he takes them out behind the shed and he pulls the trigger. I, I mean, know. I know. He is the Grim Reaper. He is, but still. Um, I would like a little bit more of a characterization other than just that. He, now, I don't want, I don't want to have like a bunch of like him throwing himself around the room about how awful it is that he has to do this. No, I kind of like but, how stoic he is about all that. Very. And I actually really enjoyed um, his interactions with um, Dolomon. That, yeah. That's a... And even like and his, Bedivore. Oh yeah, his yes, his interactions with Bedivore. Just when they they happen to get him, you know, actually like talking and interacting with them, it's very interesting mm-hmm. when when he does. It's it's a little unexpected. Um, like as much as I right. love Mephiston, he's not that interesting interacting with other people. He's really not. He's really not, and it's actually kind of painful in some places. Right. So this. But so, yeah. I mean, but he's a chaplain, so it stands to reason that. He would be, except that he's not like any other chaplain at any other chapter. Right. He has a very specific role. He's the chaplain you Um, don't want to see. You don't want to see him. Nothing good happens from this. So let's talk about Bedivore. Because we talked a little bit about him. But did you like, did you like him overall as a character? Mm Mm-hmm. I did. I really did. Because he was... I mean, he started off as your stereotypical Primaris, you know, kind of like the one in um, Sons of McCrag. I don't remember his name. Right. But, you know, just this various, like, I'm so much better than all of you guys here. And I was meant for more than this. This is like wasting my talents of looking at this mud ball. Um, So the other Marines have to put him in place and all that. And even like, you know, one of his companions, Lamarack, has to put him in place, just like in Knights of McCrag. We had that as well. But then you get to see him grow. And then when he realizes he doesn't know everything, that's just always kind of a nice moment when you have those cocky characters who realize that they don't know everything. And they'll, especially when he sees Astaroth for the first time and he realizes here's somebody he can't look down on. Because even though he may be taller than Astaroth, he can't meet him in the eyes. He's, he's still looking away like everybody else. He doesn't understand why. So I'll be, I will really be sad if he goes into the death company or if they have to kill him. Because I just feel like he didn't go that far for that long and they could bring him back. Right. I definitely, I I thought about the guy from Knights of McCrag too. And, but that guy I never liked. Never liked that guy. I mean... The one redeeming thing he did was defend the humans and died for them. That was like... Even then he was pissed about it. He was pissed like, about even it. Even then he was like, Yeah. But, which I actually kind of liked. Like, at that point, like, mm-hmm. that type of assholery, like, when you cling to it, like, that was a good and impressive, actually. Um, at first, I was like, oh, he's just going to be another one of those guys. But he was more human, and he was curious. And once they start to explain, they're like, oh, no. <laughs> like, right. Lord Dante does not do anything casually. And this is like, these are his his reasonings, and this is what he's trying to do, and try to understand a little bit. Um, 
I liked him a lot more. I liked that he, as you said, he kind of learned a little bit and he had to kind of take a step back and, but was still kind of a dick, right? Like it didn't change his whole core personality. Which is actually I was, why Astaroth liked him, which I just find that just endearing about Astaroth. He likes- Well, I actually really liked that. Yeah, cause that this guy's not a sycophant either. Right, that's what he prefers. Yeah, because he keeps Dolomit around very much like the space wolves do, right? Where you have that constant naysayer next to you and Dolomit, the court jester, but always willing to say like, yeah, but is this the right thing we should be doing? Mm -hmm. And like, are we sure about this? Like he likes having those people around who aren't scared and intimidated of him and just kind of, yeah, whatever, whatever you say, whatever you say, Lord yeah, Astrath. Yeah, because that's how Dolomit looks him right in the eye. And he's like, that's stupid. <laughs> you know, just Right? Exactly. So the fact that Bedivore is kind of like, Eh, but mm -hmm. right? like there's something a little refreshing about that because I imagine that Astaroth either has probably I mean probably has seen met his fair of sycophants within the Blood Angels but probably more just the people who are like whatever you say boss you're, you're in charge you got it that's seen a naked gun when he pulls the gun out you're in charge he's safe well, I mean like, going, going all the way back to the Horus heresy that was one thing that Horus his original Mornival that was the point of the Mornival was four voices that didn't agree and would always keep right. him grounded. Right. And did not just turn into yes men. Mm -hmm. And so I liked, I really liked that. I, I was wrecked when he's going through the forest and all of a sudden they talk about the metal walls showing up and him tasting recycled air. I was like, don't, don't, don't you do it. And then like, cause like he got the prep, but I did like the idea that this is something that's so powerful. A five minute prep talk from your new BFF is not going to overpower this. Right. That's how powerful this is. I liked that, but I also kind of hated it because I was like, dude, I liked you. I was sad they killed off Ares. I liked him, him too. I liked him too. Oh, I actually liked a lot of the guys that they introduced, which is the bears notice since I don't like the blood angels. Well, these were, I really liked a lot of them. As far as Blood Angels go, these actually weren't as dramatic as... They were pretty personable, actually. Yeah. yeah. No, I agree with you. And it is nice to see. Like, if you just give these guys, like, a smidgen of personality and take away... Maybe it's because there were no chalices. They took away their chalices and all of a sudden they were like, oh, okay, we've got personality now. That's one thing I've always liked about Dante is that he's retained how human he is. Right. And he's been what chapter master for a thousand years, so he's might have so he's lived for possibly two. We don't know. Right. Uh so yeah, he he's just that personable. Right. And that that's always one of the things that people say about Marnius Calgar. Very personable, like very human. Yeah. Ha not necessarily as personable, but has that human side to him, right? Actually all the like the really good chapter masters that we like. Shrike doesn't have so much of that, but right, like a lot of them have that like human Shrek side just of them. Gets focused. <laughs> yeah, that's a way to describe it. Um, I think Marnie's Kelgar though is very personal. That's probably like I've just read so many books like about him where he would right. go with the people and help the people and just sit down and talk with them and they'd like get down their hands and knees and praise him. He's just like just just don't. Like I always imagine him right. being kind of like uh, to. Uh, T'Challa is like, no, we don't do that here. We don't do that here. Exactly. Exactly like that. But I was, I was, I was sad. 
with Bedivar. I was like, you can't do this. So when they do, when they talk about putting him in stasis and they're like, he will still serve. I'm just, because it is. Somebody get a blunter next to him. It is possible that he can snap out it of it, is. even after stasis. Because, I mean, because it has happened several times. They remove them from that situation. And it's just like, what happened? Like, I right. had a dream. I was sanguineous. No, you didn't. You didn't. No, you didn't. Yeah, exactly. The Jedi mind trick comes out. You did not have a dream. That's, that's where you bring Mephiston right. in? No, you didn't. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, like, this never happened to you, and all is well. <laughs> Remain calm. I I was bummed about it, but you're right. I'm, like, I'm legit rooting mm-hmm. for him to come out of this. Right. So, and I know we kind of touched on this earlier, but, like, what purpose did this book really serve in the overarching Blood Angels narrative? And would you call it an essential read? Uh, I would not call it an essential read. This is really something that's for Blood Angel fans. Um, I think the overall purpose in the lore is like, as I've said, it's, you know, how when they realized this is what made them realize that the Primaris could fall to the Black Rage. That's really it. Um, You know, just to kind of look in the day of the life of... So, I mean, as for... So you're talking about, like, actual lore. That's really it. You want to know, like, well... Right. So they know that darkness of the blood. We know it's because the codices came out later, negating everything that Guy Haley wrote. So he had to backtrack. Right. So this was, like, his backtracking. In, right. In a way. Because, like, because Blood in the Darkness is like, oh, we never... You know, we always knew that. This was like... And this one is... Well, this is how we always knew that. How we got to that point. Right. Um, that's really it. I mean, it's a chance to actually learn a little bit about Astaroth, but not as much as I would have liked. Right. And I think that's... So, to me, like, you're already covering lore that's already been established... He kind of implies that, oh, we saw this on the Indominus Crusade. And, you know, so, like, you knew but didn't know, no. Right, but that book hasn't come out yet. True. The Indominus Crusade. Right, right. And that would be actually kind of be interesting if in one of those books they touch on that. Mm -hmm. Like, the Unnumbered Sons are fighting and all of a sudden one of them screaming about Horus. And again, everyone's like, what is, what is going on? (laughs) Like, what in the actual... Um, and again, and you have nobody there to be like, oh, that just happens sometimes. <laughs> right? Because like, even if you have some like the ultramarines with them, they're going to be like, I got nothing on this one. Pay like, no attention to the man behind the curtain. <laughs> <laughs> Although Gulliman might react a little strange then, like turns around and is like, I'm sorry, come again? <laughs> right? He might have a little bit of a different reaction to that. That would actually be a little heartbreaking. So, because I don't, Someone know write, if he's familiar with it. Can someone write that book? Please. Gee Haley, please, sir. Please, yeah, sir. because I would... There's like so many Gee, Gee Haley, so many Gulliman reactions that we know are on the fucking voicemail. And like, this has got to be one of them. Eventually, because eventually he's going to see this because now that he's like a part of it, because obviously he didn't see it in the past because Sanguinius obviously didn't have that. <laughs> he wasn't screaming for Horace for no reason. Um... But also, like, with the Fallen, because we know that's on <laughs> that's on his voicemail somewhere. So just a lot of his reactions. And if he learns about the Wolfen, I, I could just see him just kind of sitting down and, you know, McCrag's honor and just being like, okay, you know what? 
I can't deal with my brother's bullshit right now. Just imagine him sitting in a chair and like starting to listen to his voicemail and then just sliding further and further <laughs> and further. And by the time they get to this, he's just sitting there like, why? Like That's when he goes and he finds the lion and wakes him up. He's like sitting on top of him, slapping him, going, Victor, I should not be the only person here. Um, but that you wanted to be war guess, master. Damn it. <laughs> I think this is, I think you're right though. Like this to me feels like kind of a deep cut, like a deep cut. It's blood angels fans. A little blood, bit of fan it, service. This is for blood angels fans. And I'm, it I is. Mean, and I like the blood angels. So, I mean, and I can see the deeper meanings in this, but I've also read more Blood Angels books than, than Jen. So I can kind of like see where they were going. But if you're not a Blood Angels fan, like Jen is not a Blood Angels fan, you're, you're not, you're not going to get anything great out of this book. This is not an essential reading. This is not something you have to have if you want to learn everything that's going on in the post-Rift world. Unless so, somewhere down the line when they're all like, remember the Red Wings and how important they are? And they're like, the who? Right. Like, if that happens, okay. The only thing I can think of is maybe the Enslavers. If they become a big major player and you're like, where the hell did these guys come from? They came from Astaroth. The one thing I will say is that this is perfect for the book. This, which is going to be the real cover of the book. Wrong book. Doesn't fit this at all. You, you know what it actually looks like, though? Hmm. An Avatar of Corn. A Megadeth Korn. Co- album cover? A Ma- Avatar of Corn. Yeah, it totally does. I mean, because he's on a throne of skulls there. Right, with the big X's on him. And the fact that uh, he has black hair, unlike the rest of the Sanguine Sons. Well, the majority of them. But yeah, he looks like... He actually looks like straight up like some sort of Night Lord in mm-hmm. there. I... Yeah, like if you came to this book because you were like... I can't wait to see something from Astra's point of view and really get to understand him as a character. You will walk away from this disappointed. Yeah. I mean, you'll get some, but some, not what you would expect. Right. I mean, yeah. If you're expecting like a Mephiston like book or like even like David Annandale's Mephiston novella. No, this is, this is not it for Astaroth. No. Um, no, it, it's an interesting story. I guess you're right. It just kind of pulls those things together, but still that's been done. Um, they keep coming back with the skulls on here too. Like, I, I feel like they thought that this was going to be slightly different. Um, it was fun. It was enjoyable. I mean, even like the I mean, blood drops got like crossbones, like a pirate. Right. It's kind of weird. Right. He kind of looks like a space pirate, which is kind of fun. Um, I do like his axe. The axe is awesome. I yeah, like, I, like, I, I like this axe. I don't like the one on the oh, inside. Very much. Yeah, I mean, it was enjoyable enough, I guess. If if you're not a, if you're not a Blood Angels fan or like a Deep Blood Angels fan, I'm not sure I would recommend it. Oh no, no, um, no I wouldn't. So the most exciting thing, though, unfortunately, we don't have our copies of it till like. Saturday. Probably Saturday. The most exciting part of this is that we are going on vacation. That is the most exciting part. That's the most exciting. That's exciting part number one. Exciting part number two. God Blight is coming with us. 
Because who else would you take on vacation if not Robbie Bobby? Is that a question? Because of course I'm going to take To Robbie be Bobby. fair, Mortarian would probably not be a person with whom I would vacation. Well, mostly because, like, Typhus always has to come and miss me with him. Although Mortarian is, like, ready for COVID. To be fair. You know what, though? I feel like he would definitely not pass a COVID test or, like, anything else to travel. Like, the guy, he's got it all. Well, he's also, he can't fit on a plane. He's kind of big. Kind of big. Well, he can fly. Right. Like, you'd be in the plane. He'd be flying alongside you, and you'd be like, ugh. Thought you agreed you weren't coming. And he's like bigger than the plane. He's like bigger than Robbie Bobby. Well, and also, would like the flies? You know what? We're gonna bring Robbie we Bobby talk with about us. Flies? No, we um we're bringing Robbie Bobby with us, and it's gonna be really exciting because and, what else do you read on a beach? And Frater Matthew. We're not bringing Frater Matthew with us. He sneaked on board in Gulliman's suitcase. Let's be real. This is true. <laughs> like let's be really real um, but that's going to be exciting so we will have that uh, we will be taking our hardback versions not our limited edition versions <laughs> because if I got sand in that one I'd be really sad but we are going on summer vacation we are bringing Dark Imperium with us super excited I don't Imperium. know what it goes with the beach besides Dark Imperium I mean, let's be real you know what it's going to be better than reading Fabius Bio last year okay to be fair Anything would be. Sorry, Josh Reynolds. Just like, I feel like there's a challenge issued there. And I'm not sure that I have an answer for it. Well, if Goblight wasn't coming in, we would probably be reading um, one of Robbie McNiven's Cocaridon books, which would be interesting reading about shark people on Hawaii. Beach. To be fair, that would that and that's still gonna be like that's in the hopper still, but hopefully we're getting more new books coming out. But we were going to wait on Godblight till we got back. And it's just like, how long have we been waiting for this, really? Right. And not only that, but when's the chance we ever going to have to like read a book like in the same room together, like kind of really going off of how we're feeling about stuff. So, right. It'll be fun. Yeah. I'm excited for it. I think it's going to be awesome. That's what we have for you guys next time. And we will be back. Um, God, I hope it's not like. The third Fabius Bile book. We're just like, dear God. Because what if... Because I haven't... I haven't read the third Mephiston book, but what if... What if the Black Library also can't do threes? Oh. I don't want this to turn into a Godfather situation where we're just like, we don't talk about the third one at all. It doesn't exist. I don't know. That's what, that's what I'm convinced about Half-Life 3. I can't I like, can't handle it. Half-Life 3 does exist, but it's so bad. I've convinced everybody it doesn't. The first off, you heard it here. Half-Life 3, 3 confirmed. And second off, I like low-key wonder if it was that. Like it was so bad and they were just had, like had no ideas. So they were just like, forget it. Because I don't even want to tell you how old I was when I played Half-Life. Anyways. Want to take us out, Carrie? Don't tell me how old you are, because I was graduated from college when I first saw Half-Life, so I really don't need that. Yeah. Anyway, so you've listened can't to the Warhead. Can't be right. Huh? It can't be right, can it? Yeah, I can. 
You've listened to the Warhammer 40k book club episode regarding Astarath. I think it's called Was it Angel of Mercy? Angel of Mercy. Angel of Mercy by Guy Haley. So be sure to join us for our next book by Guy Haley, Dark Imperium, God, God Blights. We are an unofficial book club and not affiliated with the Black Library or any of its affiliates. You can find both the vidcast and podcast on our website, 40wh40kbookclub.com. If you like this episode, please like, subscribe, give a review, and all those good things to the vidcast on YouTube or the podcast anywhere you get podcasts. Don't forget, we also have a Patreon where we offer two different tiers of content for your viewing and listening pleasure. You can learn more about that at patreon.com slash wh40kbookclub. Our site also has articles about our adventures in reading other Warhammer 40k books and short stories outside of the book club books. So please stay well and read from a crag. I'm still all furious. Just so you know. You really should have gotten you some of that metallic red. Shiny. You've forsaken your chartreuse. No, you should get you some chartreuse. (laughs) Good night, everybody. of the Warhammer 40k book club is hosted by Jen Bozier and me. Recording and editing of both the vidcast and podcast were done by me. The book club questions and discussion format were done by Jen, and all of our music is by Jingle Punks. The Warhammer 40k book club is a Warhammer LLC production. This is a Voxcast that even he, Cato Sicarius, would approve.